because when I think of jump scares, I think of the maze game. What is that? Oh my God. How do you not know the maze game? Hold on. Hold on. Let me make sure that I'm saying this right. Let me make sure I'm saying this right. Are you covering that so you don't see the scary images? I hate. I can't. It's he was looking much. up something on his iPad and then he had to cover it with his hands so he didn't see how scary it was. I hate <laughs> it. I can't. I like like it's like I'm like it's embarrassing. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Given the Platform, the show where we give unsung people the chance to flaunt their extraordinary passions and knowledge. As always, if you'd like to be on the show, please contact me at giventheplatform at gmail.com. Also, make sure to give us a download on your favorite podcasting platform and rate us five stars on iTunes if you'd like. It's really going to help me get this podcast out. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Given the Platform and on Twitter at Give the Platform. I'm particularly excited about this week and next week's podcast. They're thematically based around Halloween. We have horror movies this week and Twilight next week. And editing these podcasts have been a blast. Both guests are so funny, so amazing. And I hope you have as much fun listening to these episodes as I did editing them. Enjoy. Today, we have on Joey Cooper. Joey Cooper is a colleague a peer, a friend, and he's here to talk about something that I have many points of contention with, but it is among the staples of the season. It is horror movies. Joey Cooper has an expansive knowledge of horror movies. He's a big fan. Well, he brought notes. He's pretty good. I did bring notes. I did. So we just came from a two hour viewing of the thing. It was great. I had never seen it before. I know of the new version. But that one, according to you, and I do believe you, is better. Yes. Um, but let's start with horror movies in general. In general. So, I would like to know your relationship with horror movies. Like, when was your first horror movie? How do you? Why do you like horror movies? Just tell me about that. Uh, well, I I I grew up with a very film centered family. Uh, my family wasn't really in the film business, but. Um, their relationship to film was very strong and prominent, especially with my my stepdad. Uh, my mom and my stepdad live up in uh, rural Washington, and up there we have no internet, so it's just like DVD, pawn shop city. You know, you gotta watch whatever you can, and I was forced to watch uh, things like The Blob, uh, The Fly, Them. Uh, which, you know, was really impactful being like seven, eight years old watching those movies from the 50s. Um, but to me, they were pretty horrifying. I think my first <laughs> horror movie was um, Jaws, Steven Spielberg's uh, one of the first ever blockbuster movies, which I don't know if some people would call a horror movie now. But when you're very young and you see a shark rip apart a boy your age... It's pretty terrifying. Makes you not want to go near salt water, near no. a- any kind of water. <laughs> By the sound of it, you don't, you didn't like horror movies. No, I was terrified. I was terrified. I remember when all of these would come out, especially the newer ones like Insidious and The Conjuring movies, uh, being taunted by my family, the people that I trust, uh, making threats that I will watch these movies and be terrified. Uh, and I never wanted wanted to. It was only recently that I found out that the horror movie genre is ever expanding and quite 
freaking fascinating. It's it's incredible. How recently would you say? Um, I would say probably my sophomore year of high school. No, 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 no. I'm not that much of a loser. I think I will. I think eighth grade. Eighth grade is when I first started going to the movies with my friends and seeing horror movies. Like I specifically remember. Um, uh, Shyamalan's The Visit, which was great, and then the Poltergeist remake, which was not great, but, you know, I still ventured out of my comfort zone, and that's where it all began, truly, that's where it truly began, I would say. I think that's very funny that you say that, because I, too, have a relationship with my family. They never forced me to watch any horror movies, um, but they definitely did love their fair share of horror pranks on me and I was always very sensitive to scares and I hated being scared. So personally I have this very strange relationship with horror because I am fascinated. You had a point to make that was very good that the horror movie genre is fascinating. I have never seen more interesting, peculiar plot. Mm -hmm than with horror movies. Like, you just don't get that... Even with sci-fi, it's hard to get that sense of, like, wow, this is very out of the ordinary. This is very intriguing. And there, I mean, there is a human urge within us to these things that are kind of gross and morbid. They're still so interesting to us, Mm -hmm. even though they are so terrifying. So that's how I feel. I hate scares. I hate jump scares. I hate all that kind of stuff. But I will sit through... I will sit on my phone for hours, like reading Wikipedia plots, watching videos, dissecting these movies. So I don't have to deal with the tension and the horror. Cause I just cannot all like crawl. My skin will crawl. If I have to watch these movies all like you saw me, I was like wriggling around in the couch. I like could not stand it. Yeah. I thought you were going to pass out. I was a little concerned. <laughs> okay. It wasn't that bad. Well, all right. Well, I digress. <laughs> it was, but it was definitely like a, I couldn't watch. I just had to like, Right. become a fetus and like close my eyes and cover my ears. But I'm just fascinated with all this kind of stuff. So why did you, how did you grow to like horror movies? Like what intrigued you? Was it also the plot? Well, I I think for anybody, it's that, that willingness to be scared and it's that want to be scared in a safe environment. It's the same reason people love to go to haunted houses or haunted corn mazes. Uh, it's it's that it's that willingness to be thrown into a dangerous situation without the actual danger. You know, you take it back to the days of the cave people. You know, uh, we our our fears were used as defense mechanisms against spiders or fire or um, giant land sharks. You know, whatever it was back then. I don't really. Um, but it's that it's that same uh, you know that that thrill rushing in. Endorphin inducing just fun that takes the dangerous aspect and kind of smooths it out onto this like nine layer cake of just, you know, fun, thrills. I'm not going to list all nine layers because <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but you know what you know what I mean. It's kind of this like nine layer cake of every emotion you can experience. But then once you're done, it's that, oh. You know, I just ate a cake. You know, spending an hour and a half in a very dark, secluded place to then enter out into the light with your friends and family. 
It's that momentary fear that's so fun. It's the same thing that makes a jump scare work in some scenarios. That that buildup of, of suspense and tension to immediate shock, momentary relief. A jump scare usually ends in laughter. Um, that's that relief that you get. That's that that those endorphins entering your body. I don't know if they're a jump scare ends in laughter. Yes. Don't you get you you get scared. You acknowledge the scare, and you laugh about it. You know. That's that's something your body does as a as a defense mechanism. But in this case, this de- defense mechanism isn't you know running away from a giant squid. It's 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 laughing with your friends. Unless you're alone, then again, you might turn the movie off. It's a flight or fight response that you probably heard of. That's so prevalent. Why do you think that other people like them for the same reasons or just? I think majority of people who do like horror movies. Um, like them for that specific reason. Uh, I know for a fact uh, that that's why my, you know, my parents love them. That's where I, you know, I get this idea of, of you know, fear is so, so thrilling. And of course, speaking on it, that might be a very, um, you know, sensitive thing to talk about because a lot of people experience horrifying things in a non-safe environment. So, you know, Saying that that's what makes it so fun for you is, you know, could be a little touchy. No, I think that's definitely what makes it good. Yeah. The whole aspect that you're not actually in danger. Yes, exactly. So now that we've been over, like, why you like them, how about you walk me through the history of horror movies? Like, where did it start? Where are we now? And how do they differ? Because, I mean, I know there's a huge difference between, like, Twilight Zone and like Hereditary. Walk us through that. Okay, so I just want to specify that I am no expert. This is just a little research I've been doing over the years. So the birth of the horror movie comes from the French film, um, which okay, I'll I'll try to pronounce Les Manoirs du Diable, <laughs> which means uh, the haunted castle or the house of the devil. Uh, it wasn't until about the early tens, nineteen twenties, that like the birth of these horror movie monsters started to come into place. Uh, for example, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, you know, the Wolfman, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, actors like you know Bella Lugosi taking on these roles, and it definitely reflects, uh, especially after the events of the stock market crash. I think people wanted to see their fears reflected on on screen as these horrifying monsters mainly so they could address them in a fun and entertaining way rather than um you know addressing them head on so you know let's put our sadness into these you know creature features and have a little fun with it rather than being uh, super upset what's going on uh and then that leads us into you know 1940s 1960s kind of post um, World War II era, post the Red Scare, uh, people were very scared of nuclear holocaust, and you know, that gives us movies such as Godzilla, Mothra, Them, the movie with the giant ants, you know, uh, dealing with the, like, the fear of living in a post-apocalyptic world, and, and what that, what that stuff could do to our environment, to bugs, and to ants, you know, and also, like, you know, uh, back in the day, the the fear of, of of communism was 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 a big deal, 
and uh, you know the fear of uh, of other countries and and being true to you know being an American. You know that 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 was very important for a lot of people. So you, you start seeing the birth of movies such as Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Blob, uh, The Thing from Another World, uh, and and these these are movies where outside forces, mainly aliens, come in and uh, they they start to you know. Uh, well, here, let me just say, like, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is, is, is just like, uh, you know, the thing, uh, the, the villain, like, looks like us, you know, it's, you know, that fear that, oh, any, any, you know, commie man could be one of us, and we would have no idea, so we had to band together to take it down. Very Red Scare, yes. Very Red Scare, exactly. Uh, however, everything changed, you know, 1960, uh, with... A shower curtain, I should say, uh, with Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> I, I mean, wonderfully no, dramatic. Shower, wonderfully dramatic. Everything changed. Everything changed with the toilet. Um, that makes sense. Um, in a second, you'll understand what I mean. Just go with it. Um, Alfred Hitchcock, you know, the man, the myth, the legend. Everyone knows a good Hitchcock tale. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he, he broke all the rules of horror. He, he challenged audiences with flawed heroes and heroines and offered up more blood, uh, which wasn't really seen before, mainly to this, for the switch to Technicolor, you know, but, but these Red Scare movies didn't really involve much gore, and Alfred decided he wanted to challenge his viewers. Also, just the idea of, uh, well, okay, no, there's no spoilers. This movie's been out for like over 80 years. Uh, for example, Psycho, taking the famous actor uh, Janet Lee at the time, who uh, would people thought you know, all over the promotions she was the star of the movie, but you know, killing her not even halfway through—that's something that was never seen before. That's chaos, chaos. You say, I say chaos. Uh, but Alfred Hitchcock didn't care if you thought his movies were uh, incoherent or hard to follow. He challenged his viewers. And he did it in a very great way. So now you we peer slightly into the 70s. You start to see, uh, you know, the effects of the Vietnam War, post-Vietnam War. Um, you see the assassination of JFK and, and Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King. And people start to understand that uh, we, as a people, are to be feared more than out-of-space aliens or... You start to see such movies as, you know, Texas Chainsaw, not, you know, Night of the Living Dead. You know, these films explored horror and the political turmoil that people were feeling at the time, especially with Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead, if I could just take a quick sidebar, uh, back in the day, uh, there was really no rating system. So th this movie would be played on like a Saturday matinee, which meant kids would be going in to see this movie. Obviously, I would assume mortified. If not, then uh, you're an awesome kid. But uh, stuff like this didn't really people didn't really uh, care about because uh, you know this is the this is the fear that was really important to them and they they wanted it to be expressed onto the big screen. Uh, you know, as we shift into the '70s and the '80s, this is where horror really starts to become one of a um, one of its own. I would say uh, these movies start exploring like some of the more common horror movie tropes uh such as two of the most prominent i would think would be the final girl and and death by sex and both of these were explored wonderfully by john carpenter same director as the thing uh but john carpenter's masterpiece 
Halloween. And, you know, the idea of Jamie Lee Curtis, who's actually Janet Lee's uh, daughter, who some may say is the original Scream Queen in Psycho, but Jamie Lee Curtis definitely wears the crown for that. But, you know, in that movie, she plays Laurie Strode, and she's the, uh, she's the good girl. She's the virgin of the neighborhood, and she's able to defend herself while her more promiscuous, horny friends, you know, are out getting killed by Michael Myers because, you know, sex, sex is bad, and you should be a virgin, you know. Uh, this, these tropes showing in such movies as Black Christmas, Alien, Suspiria, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. The Final Girl became a very prominent feature uh, in horror movies. Uh, same thing with Jaws. You know, the opening of Jaws shows, you know, the immorality of, like, sex, drugs, and alcohol. And be- what better way to show that immorality than have uh, a living, breathing, you know, drunk girl, horny girl, get attacked by a giant great white shark. And that definitely probably showed kids, like, you know... If you're looking for a hookup, don't don't go to the ocean. Yeah. Uh, okay. Entering into the '90s and the 2000s, people were getting very sick of the uh, you know the remakes and and gore being being piled in, in, in into the movies. So because, so audiences become much smarter. Horror movies become much more self, you know, referential, and the the slasher genre begins to be reignited. Most prominently in Wes Craven's Scream, which I I think is definitely up there in my top three favorite horror movies. At, at, now it seems kind of silly, but at, at the time it was the first movie to have the characters kind of reflect ourselves. You know, they were talking about the movies we watched. They were they were watching. They were watching Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis, talking about Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, you know, the, the killers are, are, are kids who know these movies and seen these movies, so they're smarter. And, and they get away with these murders because they act in the way that people act in movies. And it's really fascinating. You see this also in stuff like I Know What You Did Last Summer and, and in the Final Destination series. Also in the 90s, you know, it's, it's the birth of the 24-hour news coverage and, and the actual birth of, of, of true crime, you know, which showed audiences, you know, the true horror of, like, the human being and how a, how a person, like, really ticks. And so the idea of making a horror villain, you know, captivating and, like, what goes on in their mind, that was really important. So then you start to see movies such as, you know, American Psycho, Seven, Misery, with Kathy Bates famously, and, and, you know, the big one, Silence of the Lambs. Hannibal Lecter is one of the most captivating horror movie villains of all time. He kind of reels us and uh, Clarice in with his... Uh, uh, sorry. He, he reels us and Clarice in with his you know, humanity and his flaws. And you start to see him real, his real self showing. But without seconds passing, you know, we, we, uh, we understand still how, how brutal and how just strong his crave for human flesh you know really is but he's not a boilerplate character you know he has he has levels and he has flaws and he's just really fascinating not only that but silence of the lambs is the only horror movie to win the big five at the oscars you know which is best adapted screenplay best actor best actress best director and best picture other horror movies have won oscars but this was the only one to win those top five
into the early 2000s with the popularity of reality TV, you start to see the birth of, you know, the low-budget found footage film famously coined by uh, the Blair Witch Project. There was actually a movie before that called Cannibal Holocaust, which came out in the 80s, which could be considered the birth of found footage, but that movie is, is pretty much banned everywhere and is very horrifying, so we'll just say it's Blair Witch Project for now. Uh, but, you know, the idea of low-budget, very high thrills, very high thrills, the creators of the movie made back so much money because the budget was so low. You know, it gives the impression this could happen with anybody. Uh, and then into the 2010s, you start to see, you know, the war on terror and Iraq that's always televised. And, you know, it. we start to see uh, movies where... People will try at anything to do. They they will try anything they can to do to survive. You know, with 28 Days Later, The Mist, Saw. And then we get into now, uh, you know, the birth of paranormal starts to become very scary. We start to fear uh, stuff of the afterlife, such as paranormal activity, insidious, the conjuring universe. Uh, Jordan Peele comes out of nowhere you know, with Get Out, which is Oscar-winning proof, you know, that the horror in real life and in movies can take many forms. And he expertly, you know, explores the subgenres of, like, psychological and technological horror while also examining the traumas of, you know, modern-day society and institutionalized racism. And he packs that all into one, uh, one solid, uh, solid just, you know, bite of this horror movie sandwich. And, and, and now we're up to date. Uh, you see the birth of you know woke horror movies. That seems to be our 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 main event now. But I I guarantee you, you know, in the near future, we're going to start to see many more um, medical horror movies, probably some viral horror movies. Well, I mean, what was Contagion? Right. I find that there, I also see a trend where people are making these horror movies that take. Um, real fears that could happen, maybe not things that are happening in this world, but things that are possible, yes. like the growth of the birth of all these man run produce farms and things like yeah. that, that are known to produce these horrible diseases. What, how extreme can you take that idea? People are already fearful of it. So how far into that fear can we take it? And I think that's why movies like contagion came out, why movies explore um, AI and the expansion mm -hmm. of robotic technologies and what is AI and right and what is too far and like these things that are real fears among us a lot of times people are like let's take that let's run with it mm -hmm. and I don't even know I mean maybe not even medical horror from now on but like what have we learned now that we are fearful of right yeah Horror movies are always reflecting, you know, what's going on in the real world. Yeah, and like what might come. I don't know what what would even be something that's like looming over us that we're afraid of. Because it feels like what is loom what was looming over us has already happened. But maybe like something. It must be. I have a feeling that in terms of looming dangers that people can pull from, it has to be. It has to be political. Oh yeah. Like the purge is a good example of like a looming a political threat. Like, how far can our government take something? I can see that happening, mm -hmm. too. Absolutely. Because maybe yeah. it didn't happen in the world yet right. to affect us, but everyone's thinking about it. Right. How far can you take that? Especially if something happens in the near future, in, you know, November. Um, 
you know, if that happens, then I think, you know, the idea of uh, a political terror um, was definitely a huge possibility. And the purge is a, it's, you know, a great example of that. Um, you know, that, that was already started around that same time. Like Purge Election Year is a fantastic movie and it comments on many horrible things that, that seem very, very plausible that could happen in the next 10 to 20 years. That's what's so scary about it. It's because like, wow, that, that could actually happen. So we've been over the eras yeah. of horror movies. Let's go through the genres. <laughs> There, there's, there's many, there's many genres and there's many subgenres. I just want to hear your thoughts on them, what they're like, and maybe some movies that people can associate with that. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, uh, that French film I mentioned, you know, kind of the horror before everything that would be known as gothic horror, and that kind of proceeds every horror movie that we know. Like in terms of that's just a literature form of like that. That's yes. literature horror. Yes. That has been adapted to the screen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then we get such genres such as, you know, uh, no particular order. You know, science fiction, psychological horror, the slasher film, uh, gore horror, or uh, a subgenre that would be splatter. Uh, you get your fantasy Wait, horror. let's go to splatter. I know everyone except for splatter. Can you explain that one? Okay, yeah. Splatter and gore are are practically the same thing. Uh, Splatter would be such movies as, you know, the Evil Dead series. Anything Sam Raimi, really, uh, where blood is kind of the forefront rather than character or plot. That's mainly what a splatter film would be. How does that differ from gore? Um, It really doesn't. Gore is more uh, intestinal insides like you know, gore, gruesome, splatter is more just blood. Would you say it's more campy? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Extremely okay. campy. That helps. Sorry. Yep. Yeah, said that. Uh, and then you got your fantasy horror, dark fantasy. A great example of that would be Pan's Labyrinth, Guillermo del Toro. He, he, he works great with fantasy horror. Uh, then you got your body horror, and that would be, you know, The Thing. The Thing is a great example of body horror. So that wouldn't be gore? Or would it just be both? No, I would consider that to be body horror and gore as well, but mainly body horror for sure. The thing, the blob, too. Or no, any, anything David Cronenberg, uh, The Fly, you know, Jeff Goldblum's The oh Fly, God, the remake. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely absolutely body horror. Human Centipede? Human Centipede could be considered Tusk. body horror. Oh. Tusk is, yeah, a great example of body horror. Kevin Smith is, you know, he's a psychopath. But it works sometimes. Tusk was weird. Okay. Uh, a subgenre of body horror would be like Lovecraftian horror. Uh, the thing could be a good example of Lovecrafting. You you get you know you get these Lovecraft monsters with tentacles and and you know big mouths and round you know you know Lovecraft right Lovecraft Lovecraft. Yep. Uh, then you got your found footage. Of course, that's that's pretty self-explanatory. You got your monster horror, creature features, otherwise known as that is uh, paranormal horror. Uh, and then you got your comedy horror. Yeah. That's I mean there's more. Uh, probably, but those are kind of the main ones. I mean, you can put a label on anything if you, you want really to. You really could put a label on it. Um, which one's your favorite? Oh, I, well, I love, I love a good slasher. Uh, that'd be probably like the comfort food favorite horror movie, the slasher film. Same with uh, comedy horror. Uh, if done well, comedy horror is fantastic. Uh, but I think obviously the most interesting is the psychological one. That's the one that really delves into, you know, our, our true 
human fears. And I think those always end up being the best if it's not overplayed. I think a good, like, Ari Aster is great at the psychological horror. Hereditary and, and Midsommar. Uh, those are super successful, and they're amazing movies. I'm going to say, I in terms of palatable for me, comedic horror. Yes. That's, like, really the only one I can take without, like, being too... Uh, it just eases the tension of it mm-hmm. all for me. Um, What's your favorite comedic horror movie? I mean, Cabin in the Woods is genius. Uh, yeah. I mean, name some. I mean, can you name some comedic horror ones? Because I think I, I've yeah. seen more than that. Uh, you got, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Zombieland, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, of course, Cabin in the Woods. I would consider Scream to be a, a comedy horror movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just a slasher film with comedy. Oh, I mean, the scary movies. Is that just comedy? Does that even count as comedy? Um, well,. I honestly would consider the first scary movie to be a horror movie because it is it is kind of scary. It, it is it is a slasher film, and that's the only one that I think succeeds in in being a a, a parody of the slasher genre. Yeah, which is which interesting enough is 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 weird that the that they did that because Scream was already kind of a parody or a satire of the slasher genre, and so the fact that Scary Movie went and did that um, was pretty insane. Yeah, uh, but. I would definitely say Cabin in the Woods only because of that those final scenes. I am obsessed. I'm also really I love psychological thrillers are probably like I think that they're the most worthy of accolade. Mm-hmm. When I see one, I can barely palate right psychological thrillers. They're just too much for me. I I I could barely stand still. But I think that they're the most ingenious. And then also like. I it's I I'd say a mix between gore or like a creature feature, because and that's why I think Cabin in the Woods is so ingenious because I love the mythos and I love the world building that yeah. comes with horror, mm-hmm. and I love this concept of well, what's this monster like? I was always the kid that like with Ben Ten like I only cared when they gave an al- like when an alien came out, and then uh-huh. after a while I just wanted a new alien, yeah, or things like that. I love the world building of it all. So that's probably why I loved Cabin in the Woods too, because you got to see like all these creatures, not only in terms of references to other films, which was ingenious in itself, but you had to see, you got to see like these powers and abilities. You got, you were like, Oh, what does that one do? What does that one do? Mm -hmm. To me, that's really interesting. Yeah. And you know, not only that, but just the way Cabin in the Woods kind (laughs) of, Uh, well, first of all, the way Cabin in the Woods uh, breaks down, you know, the the tropes. Yeah, of the a deconstruction. Movie. Yeah. yeah, the deconstruction. You know, you got the idea of the the virgin, the final girl, the, the goofball, the stoner, the jock, the horny girl, and then the smarty pants. You know, the five main horror tropes, and the idea that they have to be sacrificed to the kind of gods of horror practically. And that is Lovecraftian too. Yes. These yeah. Huge gods. Not only that, but the whole concept in Cabin of the Woods that you pick something and then your course is predetermined. Mm-hmm. Like that's another thing in horror movies. Like once you pick up what is what the horror movie is beginning to like give it right. give you, you can plan a path. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the critiques of horror movies I find. Like mm-hmm. nowadays, unoriginal everybody, as people say, but like sometimes it's like you see a horror movie start, you see any movie start and then 15 minutes in, you're like, okay, I can plan where this is going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why films like scream was ingenious mm-hmm. films that 
completely subverted. Yeah, subverted that genre. Mm. Cabin in the Woods also makes you look at any horror movie differently, kind of in a in a like a oh, that's kind of funny way. Also, I relate to the character who is like, I just want to see the merman. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> yeah. how I am. Uh-huh. I'm like, I just want to see the creature. I want right. to see how far you can take it. So I also think that that's ingenious the way that in the end it was like, well, he got what he wanted. Yeah. And then he was like. Yeah. No, those two characters are great because they, they're, you know, it's us. It's our audience view into every horror movie. You know, uh, like the fact that they're all betting on which, you know, which monster it's going to be, you know, to kill these helpless kids. Um, the fact that they want these characters to have sex. So they, they release a pheromone, you know, into the woods so they get, you know, super horny and then they they have sex the fact that they have people viewing they have a literal audience viewing these sacrifices and that it's all in a bunker which presents that beautiful thing we talked about earlier which is horror is fun because it's safe Mm -hmm. and it's not for us but then as soon as the tides are turned like it's almost being like well this is what would have happened if we just released all this horror stuff you love to watch other people go through on you yeah yeah sorry about your luck buddy but here you go. Yeah. Here's what you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I'd never thought about it like that before. Um, of course, you know, they're safe and they're happy and they're having fun. Uh, I, there's a character in it who's a bodyguard. Who's like, is this like, he's like, is this a little messed up that you're betting on this? And they're like, Hey, you know, whatever the audience wants, that's what they want. They, they you know, they get a point to, yeah, we, we want to show uh, a woman's breast because that, that'll give us more views and that'll give, make our audience happier. You know? Yeah. So, in terms of genres, we have to go into tropes. Yes. Horror movie tropes. I think that some of them are classic. I love Mm -hmm. them. I think Final Girl is so cool to me. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It just... It doesn't seem... It seems like horror movies would be the type to subvert any original genre or any um, non-horror movie. So, this idea that it's the girl that survives, it's not about the man for once. Mm -hmm. That is really cool to me. But then I also have some contentions with it i think that the worst trope for me and maybe it's not even a trope but more of a critique but horror movie characters are so stupid and i don't know the is it the point that they make these choices that aren't even reasonable to an audience to believe why they would do that and make them like want to get out of their chair and shout is that purposeful or is that just to drive the plot i I think honestly, the stupidest decisions are just lazy, you know, lazy screenwriting. It's it's you know, it's an easy cop out. Why would you have you know your final girl you know run out the door to safety when she could run up the stairs and get herself trapped more in the house? So there's more screen time with her and the villain. But I just feel like that becomes that makes such an empty story. And I mean, you can't change this. I'm like, please change this for me, as if you have any power. <laughs> but. It always rubs me the wrong way when characters make stupid decisions that lead them into the path of danger. Yeah. Because what's more terrifying is for them to uh, try to run away and try mm-hmm. to be safe um, and then end up in a worse position. I'm thinking um, – this is a bad example because I think the character was still stupid. But Skeleton Key, when the main girl was like, well, this is a protection spell. And she was like – you are so stupid. You just trapped yourself in a circle and then made it so much easier for me to, I, I don't want to spoil skeleton key, but the horror, the uh, it's really, they get the innocent girl right where they want them by mm-hmm. thinking they're setting this protection spell, but really they're entrapping them in a circle. 
and then that's cool because you're like, oh, well, you, they just – I mean, the only other option is to just run away as soon as something sounded suspicious. But then I do get how that would just create no story. Also, you know, you got to think, like, how would you act in these situations? Of course, you know, sitting on the couch, you think, like, oh, that's, like, you know, that's the dumbest thing you could do, you know. But I, I feel like in a stressful situation where I'm not really thinking, I probably also would make a really dumb decision. And what makes a smart decision and a dumb decision? I well, we'll get to that later when we talk about the thing. Yeah, because I think I know dumb. you had a lot of comments during the movie. If I'm going to be completely honest, half of the comments I was being very verbal during that movie. Yes, and you were. To any audience, no shame. Any That's audience all. members who ha- find problems with people who talk during movies, it was a stress reliever too. <laughs> yeah, like it's to a co- to comment it was to step farther away from the reality of it mm-hmm. and to not get yourself being like, oh, this could happen to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I hate horror movies, and he knows that, so. He just got mad because I mixed up the remake with the original. And um, spoiler alert, um, the dog at the end of the remake ends up becoming the dog at the beginning of the first movie. And I didn't think that. I thought since it was a remake, it was the same plot. So I was like, what's that dog doing out there? And I was like, something's going to happen to that dog. And then Joey was like, it already happened. <laughs> well, just when I saw the movie, that was that was an incredible reveal to me. And the oh fact that you had to spoil it for, oh, poor Josh. Incredible. How old were you when you watched that movie? I li- no, I literally saw this movie over quarantine. And that was a reveal to you? I, okay. Okay, no, it was even not a reveal. Not, but- even not knowing, I could have picked up on. Okay, but just, okay. It was, that, it was that a reveal. They were shooting at a dog. I know. Well, you I know. know the plot of the story. Okay, I'm so... They were go, shooting go at ahead. a dog. Okay, so the story is about a creature that you know from the beginning coming into it, if you've watched any of the trailers, can mimic anyone. They were shooting at a dog. And then the dog, like, comes in, bites them, acts very suspicious, watches these people as if any dog would just, like... Bites? When does the dog bite anybody? At the billiard, at the billiard scene. That's why he gets oh, sent I, no, into he the cage. Oh, no, he just scared him. He just scurried on by. Mm. What, the point is, is that this dog acted suspicious from the very beginning, and they were trying to kill this dog. Mm-hmm. And you know this story is about a shape-shifting monster. So how was that a surprise to you? <laughs> okay. So I, the reveal, I was not revealed that that was the thing when it, when it turned in, you know, when it started tentacles started spreading out of its, you know, eyes. Just when I, when you, when you first sit down and you see that dog kind of running and you see someone shooting at it, uh, it's a dog. So I was like, oh no, like, I hope it's okay. I hope it doesn't die. I, I assumed these copter pilots were hunting this wolf, you know, this husky. Um, but then the direction is so well. Uh, especially with this dog who is an incredible dog actor and you start to you start to, seriously he was he did a great job he should uh, he should get a uh, uh, a roughy award uh, is that a thing yeah oh my god no it's not I made you uh, think it was uh, no the, anyway the dog does great <laughs> but the direction is is done so well in, in, in the camera movements you start to piece together oh why were they shooting at this dog? They weren't hunting it. This dog is, you know, the thing. That's that's what I thought when I saw the movie, and it was just it was a it was a it was a it was a great reveal to have to like process that in my brain and then to realize that real time. 
I do think that it was a great reveal to, I think it was such a great introduction to the gore of it all. Yeah. I would say that I knew that the dog was the thing yes. and I knew it was going to transform. Yes. But when it's it's face just completely peeled away. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, so it's that kind of movie. Uh-huh. Like that was a shock to me. And I will say in regards to stupid characters, I had a horror mo- moment of myself and I'm not talking about the 40 minutes it took to set up these microphones because the driver broke. The driver wasn't updated. <laughs> yeah, it was um, painful. As Joey was going to a vending machine, he got locked out of the place. And then he threw pebbles at my window I to try pebble. to let me back in because <laughs> he left uh, to, for me to try to let him back in because he didn't bring his phone. I did. Now, stupid. of course, after watching the thing, my first instinct was like, what do I do? To be honest, I kind of had a moment where I was like, Am I going to make a dumb decision? Because I couldn't like tell what was dumb. I was like, should I, if I run, I have enough space. Like I was like, do I have the space to run if like the window breaks open and something comes through? And then I just saw his phone and I was like, oh yeah, he's locked out. Okay. But it doesn't go to show you, I guess I will devil's advocate myself and say, there's a point to be made that people under stressful situations make stupid choices. However, my stupid choice would be away from anything dangerous and not towards it. But we will get into the thing in a minute. I want to okay. diatribe for a second. Jump scares, I think, are a very important part of the horror genre. Yeah. My least favorite part of the horror genre. I swear to God, if a movie is horror but it doesn't have jump scares and gore, I think I could deal with it. But usually you don't they do all... good with gore? I am fascinated by it. Uh-huh. I can't. I can do like the cover your eyes, but like look through with right. the little, like look through the little slit in your fingers. Well, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the thing then. Oh my and god, that the goal. thing! It was bad. It was. <laughs> it wasn't okay. Practical effects are very good to me because they kind of look realistic, but they also don't. Yeah. It's um. It is uncanny valley. This concept that like, it's human, but it's you know uncanny valley, right? Yeah. That it's human, but it's not really that human. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was practical effects, which makes me feel comforted for some reason. I don't know. But uh, Gore, like Final Destination was the first horror movie. Here's my first horror movie experience. So I watched from the corner of, I was in a door frame essentially, because I was fascinated. This is when I started becoming fascinated in the plots of horror movie. I heard my sister and my brothers watching this film, Final Destination 3. I was listening and this concept sounded really cool. This idea that you cheated death, Mm -hmm. therefore you must get it in return 10 times worse and how the rules of death worked. And I ended up standing in the doorframe and watching it like at literally from the corner, like not even seeing it fully in view because it was so disgusting with to me. And I thought the roller coaster scene was fascinating. And one thing that stuck in my head more than anything else, I think there are three deaths that I remember the most. It's the roller coaster scene, mm-hmm. the um, the sign slamming down on him, but not because I was gory, just because I was shocking and you, you didn't expect it. Also, this tension building. It's also, I think Final Destination is a master class in how to build tension, even though they kind of shove it down your throat. Um, yeah, they really did. <laughs> but I think the most memorable death was the tanning bed death. Mm-hmm. Where they I get trapped in the worst. tanning bed. Oh, it was the worst. It was, it was, it was so. As I was talking about earlier before the podcast started, I hate a face. A fate worse than death movie is mm-hmm. so intriguing to me and yet so terrifying. Mm-hmm. 
anything that is like skeleton key. Um, what were we talking about? Like tusk. That's fate worse than death. Tusk. The craft. The craft oh, the is where craft. the girl gets binded and then she ends up losing all her powers and they deem her as insane. So she gets put in a mental institution. Anything where it's like eternal, like eternal hell, eternal. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Oh, this is what I was thinking of uh, before when I was talking to you. I couldn't figure it out. Drag me to hell. Drag. Oh, drag me to hell. Drag yeah, me to Sam, hell okay. is the perfect fate worse yeah, than yeah, death yeah, film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It, the concept that, and, and it also touches on something that I also hate about horror is when the undeserving person gets the one who mm-hmm. is the one who gets tortured. Mm-hmm. Cause all she did was deny someone who was already way overdue on all of her fees and, um, completely overstepping the rules of the bank. Right. Curses her for doing her job. And then she ends up getting sent to hell because of it Yeah. for eternity. Not only fate worse than death, but also totally undeserving. Nothing like a soft film where you have this concept that they are already like wrongdoers and therefore should get, should suffer mm-hmm. because of it. But this idea that something that you do, like even denying doing your job and not even an unreasonable thing can get you sent literally to damnation. That is the worst. I hate it. I just think that inter, uh, gore, like the, those are my, le- I, and although they are my least favorite parts about horror and make it hard to watch a film as it is, it makes it so fascinating to dissect these things. Mm-hmm. Scary movies to tell in the dark mm-hmm. is a great example of these creepy things that are, the, the plots are fascinating. The guy who turns into a scarecrow, like, come on, like that's, <laughs> Come it's, on. It's just, it's wonderfully fabulous. It's, it's from a creator. We are both creators as actors. We are mm-hmm. both people who love to fabricate things. Right. It is, and coming from, and we love it when we are given a lot to work with. Mm-hmm. Horror movies are the most to work with. They're so beyond yeah. reality. It's just so, oh, I don't know. I can, as much as I love it, I hate it. I don't know. It's, it's so weird to me. Such a dichotomy. Anyways, um, let's get into, we've, I mean, We've talked enough about fate worse than death and me talking about how much it sucks. Um, although I do think that there's a fascination. Let me, okay. okay. No, go for it. He's going to go off script. Whoa. Uh, he's going rogue. Fate worse than death is horrible, but it's been um, as as far back as Dr. Faustus, um, a Renaissance play about a guy who makes a deal with the devil, 25 years, 24 years of magical powers for eternity in hell. And then at the end of it, he's like, well, damn, like, mm-hmm. 24 years was worth, wasn't worth it. And I wasted it. He ended up wasting it. He didn't use his powerful, his powers for anything other than tricking other people. Um, and then he had to face eternity in hell. And that might even be the root of horror itself. This concept that you can suffer for eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's endless. It's not death and it's over horror movies. Oftentimes you get killed, but then, but then you get killed. Yeah, it's done. When, when you explore what happens after that, that's what's, yeah, that's intri- where the true fascinating, really comes almost gory in a sense. I think we all have a fascination for what happens after death or so mm-hmm. this idea of fate worse than death is just as fascinating. Like cuz fate worse than death to me tusk can be I guess it's suffering, but it's suffering with a limit. It's when it has no limit. It's when it's an endless amount of time. It becomes so intriguing and you really get to explore. It forces you to be creative with it. I don't that's I'm why repeating. the paranormal films have gotten so popular. Yeah. It's the idea of, you know, exploring, you know, the fear of the afterlife. Mm-hmm. 
it's almost like there's no other room for such creativity but in horror. How far can you go with imagination? I almost feel like it's a circle and it's the farthest ranks, the farthest circle, the farthest rings are horror. Because once you get so far as to how creative can you get without becoming horror? That's what I'm saying. Let's pose this question. How creative do you think that you can become super creative without veering into horror? Or do you think that the peak of creativity comes from the horror genre? Well, I think that there, you know, it's like the universe horror is like our universe. There really is no ending. I don't think you can go too far or too little. Really, any anything could be considered horror. And I don't know if that would really, you know, I don't know if someone really wants to say that like, oh, it's it's really creative that we can make anything into horror. But I do think that horror is the most creative uh, genre. Like uh, Charlie Kaufman's new movie, I'm Thinking of Anything, is literally a horror movie just about existing and about, you know, remembering your past and, uh, you know, reflecting on what could have been. Like, that's scary. Like, the human mind is probably the scariest thing in the world because, you know, we know nothing about it. Scientists don't even know how it works. So, you know, the, the fact that anything can, can be considered scary or in the horror genre, I think that, that that's what makes it so creative, I guess, is what you were trying to say. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's horror is what is and also it's what's the limit of human capability? Because, yeah, that's, I mean, slasher films aren't really rooted in fantasy, per se, but definitely have an aspect of humans outside of their natural occurrences, outside of their natural behavior. I mean, think of, I mean, I, I'm thinking of ending things as a good example. It also reminded me of She Dies Tomorrow, where basically it starts with this one woman being like, I'm going to die tomorrow. I just know. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just going to. And then the person who called her, that happens to her. And then the people she hangs out with, it happens to them. It ends up oh, gosh. being like a pandemic almost of people thinking they're going to die tomorrow. I'm almost 100% certain that at the end of this movie, you don't even know if they die the next day. Yeah, I think that's been really popular recently. Um, maybe a subgenre of the psychological thriller, but like the actual like psychoanalysis of, of human beings. I've noticed that more frequently. We're scary. We're scary people, and we all make scary decisions especially placed in power so let me not spread any false information the end of this movie is um the people would kill themselves oh okay but they wouldn't but they wouldn't die wait wait oh did i ruin it for you you just spoil the movie for me no no because no because i didn't first of all i didn't explain any of the characters and not all of them die it's the point is is that what ends up happening to them is that it's not it's not like an actual disease where they die unnaturally. They kill themselves. I'm going to die tomorrow. They say as if it's not happening to, like they're not doing it to themselves and yet they acted upon themselves. Kind of like uh, a, a better bird box. I didn't like bird box. Yeah. If you can tell by that comment. So I thought it was boring. Okay. Let's veer back on track after. We I were got, talking about jump scares. We were talking we about jump scares. talked about that. Well, I hate jump scares, Whoops. but I love. <laughs> jump scares are actually one thing that like, there's nothing for me to like about them. That's very reasonable. I understand why. Most jump scares are done just, they're overplayed and, and they're not done well. 
I think I can only name like a few jump scares that are actually that actually succeed in what they're trying to do. Which ones? Uh, there's one great one in Sinister. I, I it's always my example. It's um, uh, Sinister is a movie about a uh, Ethan Hawke. You know, is watching all these films. That's a great uh, description. Uh, so Ethan Hawke is watching this one film about this family. It always ends up in uh, one child killing, ending up killing the whole family, and they're old like film reels from the 70s and 80s. And so this one takes place, you know, it's like a camera watching a family, uh, you know, watching a movie or something. And then it cuts to a low angle shot of a lawnmower and it's just like mowing the lawn and he's watching and it's just mowing the lawn for kind of an excess of time. And then it, you know, it it like runs right over this lady kind of tied to the ground, the mom. And it's the stinger of music and it it comes out of nowhere. And it's so great because um, there really, oh no, there is this build up tension because every other film we've seen, we've seen, you know, we know, you know, people are going to die. So the fact that this lawnmower is on the ground and you know where it's probably going to go, but it's the stinger of music. Is what really gets so it was a jump scare, but audio or was it visual too? It was visual. It's both. Okay, a jump scare I think succeeds perfectly with a great combination of audio visual. um, What is that called? Audio visual. And was it a music audio? Was it music audio like a sting, like an actual like? No, yeah, it was like a, it was, it was like a loud vial. It was like a bow. Yeah, because that's so much better than like just a scream. Yeah, because when I think of jump scares, I think of the Maze Game. What's that? Oh my God! How do you not know the Maze Game? Uh, I, I don't know. How do you not know? Or everything like... I've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you the same question? Hold on, hold on. Let me make sure that I'm saying this right. Let me make sure I'm saying this right. Maze Runner. Um, another great jump scare. While you're looking that up, is the uh, the clap from The Conjuring. It's fantastic. Are you covering that so you don't see the scary images? I hate. I can't. It's he was looking much. up something on his iPad and then he had to cover it with his hands so he didn't see how scary it was. I hate <laughs> it. I can't. I like like it's like I'm like it's embarrassing. A good example for me is like for horror, I can't dive into a pool, but I can like dip my toe in and then slowly bring the rest of my body into the okay. pool. Yeah. The ease into the like I can't just do oh water. like scary images it's too much for me but I can be like cl- cover my eyes and then like see a little bit and yeah. then be like okay I could just watch here now yeah. yeah um it's called the maze game it's it was this game where you trace your mouse around the maze oh and oh, if the mouse not a touched, movie yeah I if know. the mouse touched the black then it was a jump scare of that lady also known I also know that from the video of. Like the car it's like commercial? the car driving yeah, through the car driving through and the then she, windy woods. Because I think that's the original video with the jump scare. Because yeah, that's she like comes up one. within the frame in the mountain. But the mm-hmm. scary maze game just takes that as a clip. Yeah. Um, but like that's how I know jump scares, and that's how I've grown to hate yeah, that was them. Essentially, the first jump scare I ever saw was the car. Yeah, fake car commercial. It was the first one for me. It's terrifying. Oh gosh. So why does that work so well? Especially, I mean, once you know that it's going to come, that's why I hate it. I mean, in the thing, like, as we were watching the movie, I was like, as soon as I could, t- I have a, such a sixth sense for it now that I can tell. Uh, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is not a horror show. Right. It's like Riverdale, but like fantasy, essentially. But even that has like jump scare e moments, like kind of. And I could just sense when it would come. And even watching it, 
even watching a non-horror thing, I was like, nope. I was like, cover my eyes, put it down, mm-hmm. put it on the side, listen for it. Because I can do it vis- I could do it audio, right. like auditorily. So you don't like jump scares either? No, no, I, I do. It just some don't succeed uh, very well. Keep, keep naming ones you like, because I want to see if I can know some uh, of these. Well, I think, um, the, you know, let's, if we go to the thing, there's a, there's a great jump scare uh, when they're testing the blood. And he tests Palmer's blood, and it kind of like screams and shoots out of the vial. That one was good. I liked the one where the chest opened up more. Really? I think that was more of a subversive jump scare. Mm. Well, I think, and it almost, and I think it shows that it's subversive because jump scares happen outward. Oh, and And this is me talking. This is so like uppity uppity actor talk kind of, (laughs) and like, but to be honest, all jump scares happen outward. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of crazy. That there was a such a strong motion because it happened when he was giving CPR. Mm-hmm. So there was such a strong motion inward, and then the jump scare was not that something popped out, but something pushed in. through. Pushed through, yeah. like where you thought there was once a solid, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. And that concept of a jump scare happening inward instead of outward was so intriguing to me because mm-hmm. that was that was, and then and then it was just terrifying because someone's chest opened up and ate right. someone's arms, but. I, that, but that's what I'm talking about in terms of this opportunity for being subversive. But you think, uh, but I do understand the blood one. Is there any other ones that I would know? Because I do know like horror movies, essentially. I think I think the jump scare in Conjuring 2 with uh, the tent and kind of this scream, this man's scream. I think it works well just because the scream is so unsettling. I love the idea when, because a jump scare is, you know, a build up and release of tension. And I love when a jump scare works so well that it, the tension is building up, you know, you can't even feel it. That's why I think that thing one works so well is because, you know, he's testing the blood and all this tension. It's like, oh, what's going to happen if uh, someone's the thing? And then they test like five vials and no one's the thing. And it finally cuts to Larry and he's like, this is just a, lo- you know, just a load of bullshit. Now this is going to work. And he's like, oh, we're, we're trying it. And it's kind of shot in a way where it looks like nothing's going to happen. And he's like, we'll try Palmer's. And he sticks it in. And it's like, boom. And it's like, there has this been, te- this tension has been building up. We had no idea. Well, what's the magic of that scene was that they thought it was going to be the other guy. Who was it? Um, The one who shot in the beginning, like the oh, sheriff. Oh, Clark. The Clark. Oh, Clark. no. Larry. That's the guy they cut so to before the jump scare. What's, what was so great about that in particular was... Not only did you not expect it to happen, you expected it to happen with Larry because mm-hmm. they were like, well, we'll do yours last because he was the most suspicious of it. Right. So you're like, oh, it's totally going to be Larry because he's the one who doesn't want it to happen. Mm-hmm. They save him for last. So I didn't even expect the second to last one to be because that one actually got me as a jump scare. Like the con, oh, it was so good at subverting. And it's so great because that character has been so just just there kind of so unsuspicious he i mean he's been helping out and stuff but you you know you kind of forget about him in, in the sequence and the fact that it's him it just comes out of nowhere and it's, it's almost i think the thing like, let's ah! we'll, we'll before we get into the thing i would just like to say the thing is almost ingenious because instead of building tension it lets it lay dormant mm-hmm. which makes it doesn't it doesn't do it within the movie you do it yourself right and really puts the work on you it's like here you're the audience you do the work for me um, but whereas a thing that comes to mind is the final destination three scene where they're at the drive through and the radio switches and the song plays like, there is someone watching behind you. Turn around. Look at me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And then they turn around and it's like the truck you could see without the driver coming. Yeah. So that's a buildup of tension within the film. I think I was talking and let's just get right into the thing now that we're yeah. already talking so much about it. I didn't mean to offend Joey by this question, but I asked if the almost the mundaneness of the scenes were purposeful because there are scenes where they're doing very ordinary things. And even when it's heightened, like at the end when they set up the TNT, it goes for so long without anything else. And it's just visuals of these people setting up TNT that you don't expect anything. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they build up this tension by making suspenseful, it's suspenseful music. It's like almost like silence. Silence. Yeah. It keeps you, it, uh, John Carpenter is a great thing of, uh, you know, just like letting the camera sit and letting the audience kind of sit in this moment of kind of unease until it gets to a point where you start to feel comfortable. And just at that point, something happens. And it almost feels like you're, you're in the reality of it. You're the, you're feeling the same way as the character mm-hmm. because in horror movies, you feel it's almost feels heightened. Like well, yeah, in horror movies I watch, you feel like you're more afraid than the character because you have the dramatic irony of knowing what they don't know. Mm-hmm. The thing is kind of crazy. doesn't give you that dramatic irony. No, you At the end, I didn't it. know. I knew someone was going to come up behind someone, mm-hmm. but it was because I drew that own conclusion, not right. because the music was leading me to think that way. So, and almost it came to this magical point where um, Larry mm-hmm. gets like body snatched and the thing like shoves his tentacles in his mouth and then absorbs him. It was almost this beauteous thing of you were calm, but you thought like you were afraid, but you were calm because nothing was happening. You panicked because you saw it all happen all of a sudden and he came up behind him. And then like you kind of settled in as he just kind of released like control because he was getting absorbed. But like as he stopped resisting you, I felt the same way. And I, I think that the fact that you said earlier how, like, you know, the music doesn't lead you because the music is simply just, like, a baseline, practically. Uh, the main score is just bump, 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 And then the bump. high violence. I yeah. loved the score of this oh, film. it's fantastic. That was the one of, of the things, of the jokes I was making to ease the, my own tension within the movie. That was the one serious comment Yeah, one I of made. the most honest things I was said. just like, this is amazing music. <laughs> yeah. It's and I hated it, and that's why it was so amazing mm-hmm. because it made me so, uh, it gave me such unease. Mm-hmm. But like I was thinking of like the music when they discover when they see the spaceship. Oh, yeah, wow. Uh, but then again, let's talk about okay. I've complimented it too much. I have to devil's advocate, or else <laughs> this wouldn't be fun. Okay, the people in that movie. They were scientists, and yet they were idiots. No. Let me walk you through. Okay, here let's rebuttal. Let's right. let's Mr. quarrel. Let's here. quarrel right now about yes, please. what we what I thought was I'd stupid. So first of all, I thought was stupid. I thought the concept that you drugged and removed the two smartest people of the group immediately, the two people who were referred to as doctors of the entire group. One was morphined. The other was sent away where no one could see what would happen to them. Mm-hmm. But th- this was at a point in the movie where having a doctor wasn't really necessary because we knew everything about this creature that we needed to know. But they And it, what makes you think they were the two smartest just because they were the doctors? They were the front and they were brought with the other um, when they went. That's true. When they think they discover the... 
uh, when they went to go discover the past mission. Oh yes, the they brought Norwegian the doctor with them. Yeah, they brought the doctor with them. These people, and they they probably have the best grasp of medical science and mm-hmm. things, and they're drugged. And it's even a point in the film where the guy goes, "You need me," and then the other person and someone else goes, "Yes, we need him," and they go, "I don't care, drug him." Yeah, but when you're in that situation where this is the most, you know, unusual suspect and you have a doctor that's going to be, you know, working on people and, and, you know, in rooms with people by themselves, I mean, I I don't think I'd really want him around either. I think I'd feel safer if he was, you know, kind of tied up. The two doctors, they're not necessary at this moment. I don't because I think they are. It's 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 medicine that, that without the first doctor who gets sent away. Mm-hmm. But he was f- trying to kill everybody. He, he was, was insane. He was trying to kill everyone, which was the smartest choice. It was the only way to ensure that no one would harm the world. But it sacrificed a group of people, and some of them could have been innocent and not turned yet. But you also don't know. If when they get out, if they're already contaminated. Well, that's why, you know, it practically works. The blood, their blood system works. If only they didn't put Blair in that, in that shed, which they didn't know the extent of the alien's abilities. I'm sure they didn't know that it was going to be able to break him out. But presumably this disease can transform you without getting into your blood, right? Because it never specified that in the movie. Well, no, it needs to... It needs to attach onto you, and it needs to... But it could do so on the surface of your skin, and therefore they could all be contaminated and leave being humans and get to human civilization as a thing. They're not contaminated. This is not a disease. It's cellular. You're literally killed and turned into a, a clone, practically. No, but each cell is its own alien being. It was specified in the movie. That was a... That was a... They thought that. I don't know if that was... I'm also pretty sure that's true based on what I've read of the remake. No, that I it's cellular. Right. Yeah, I think... Yeah, but it, to kill them all is the safest because they all are contaminated after even having just yeah. been with the dog. But why would you want to... Again, I, yeah, that wouldn't make for a good movie. I will argue that. Like, without... If they did what I suggested, this wouldn't be a thing. This wouldn't be a movie to complain about. But also, like, stupidity, like, using... And we have fought over this already... The amount of gasoline they use. Okay, you, you, we never get, uh, like, we never specify how much gasoline they actually have. So you're just assuming that they used all their gasoline, which that gasoline they had was very minimal. You know, they have a helicopter, they have two tractors. You know how much gasoline they have? Generators they need to power this, this place. I'm sure they have an abundance of gasoline. They used, but they still used four giant like barrels of gasoline to light a mound of body. Just a mound. It was so overkill. Well, and then they like drizzled a little on top with the small boxes. <laughs> They're like a little sprinkle of gasoline. I, yeah, it worked. It worked. That's what matters. But isn't that a point? Okay, and maybe one of the reasons why I thought this was so stupid was having known the plot. Of And when I say I know these movies, I will tell you all that I have not had the experience of watching them. These are Wikipedia arc- articles that I read. <laughs> but I'm almost 100% sure that the plot of the new movie involves them running out of gasoline. 
Um, or being possibly, like how much gasoline is left for once. these flamethrowers. Yeah, well, that, that started to happen in this one. You know, remember in, in the, uh, the blood scene, he started running out of gas. Oh, yo, yeah, you have to refill a flamethrower. doesn't mean they don't have enough gas. You can't be like, yeah, you see what I mean, Joey? Also, no, because- I mean, from the beginning, the dog is being shot at, and they are screaming in this guy's face. The guy is screaming and being like, blah, 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 blah. I'm speaking in Swedish. Norwegian? Norwegian. I'm speaking in Norwegian. Blah, 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 blah. But if they're frantic, and then they're shooting at a dog, and then you go to the place where they were from, and it is desecrated, first of all, don't bring back the alien body you found with two faces molded together. Yeah, that. Yeah. Second of all, maybe take another look at that dog. <laughs> you better be speechless. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You, listen, you're out. You're at an Antarctica research facility. You're probably not doing much work. If this comes to be that there is this crazed, first of all, at this point, they don't know. It's an alien life form. They bring back this body and they open it up and they've discovered that it's all human organs. You know, at this point, they don't understand that it's been assimilated and it's all duplicated. It's not until that the dog, you know, becomes an alien that they realize like, "Uh oh, we've made a mistake and we've released this out. Also, when these Norwegian guys come up and and shoot your friend in the leg, of course, you're going to think that he's trying to hurt you guys. Or hunt this dog, and it'll stop at nothing to hunt this good old husky meat sack. And again, again, I get the point of if, if my my problems with the movie also make the movie. <laughs> like, without it, it would be like, great, we killed the alien dog, no one's infected, let's go home <laughs> right, now. Right, right. Uh, um, also, you know, uh, we are kind of arguing, but... You can have your own opinions. It it's doesn't matter. Semantics it's a movie. too. I did think it was Subjective. a great movie. Cool. Um, I'm glad. So, before we end, I have like a few more. Okay. We've talked about the thing. We've mentioned a lot of movies on this podcast. If you have one recommendation for people to watch a movie that is not the thing, okay. What would it be? Honestly, in true honesty, I think I would show people The Descent, possibly. That is a horror movie that I've showed many people, and every reaction is pretty much the same. Amazing jump scares, uh, amazing character and, and uh, character development, um, and then like not it's not a character study, but uh, just amazing character interactions, uh, amazing monsters, pretty pretty great story. I think I would say that. Oh, I, I mean. Maybe even The Shining. <laughs> That's a fantastic horror movie. But that might be a lot of pretty boring for some people. I, man, The Thing is so great. I'd probably say The Descent. If you want to see a really good horror movie, you want to be scared, you want to watch some interesting characters, uh, do some non-dumb stuff, even though they do do some dumb stuff in the movie, um, The Descent. The Descent is a great watch. Give us a little summary. No spoilers, but... Okay, so it, it's about this uh, woman named Sarah who goes through this uh, awful tragedy. And uh, a year later, her and uh, five of her friends go uh, spelunking. 
which is cave diving, and something happens, um, and they end up in an unmarked cave, and they end up trapped in. Uh, so while finding their way out, they um, they uh, start to encounter these kind of uh, Windigo-style cannibal golem-esque monsters, and, and then it's just them trying to get out of this said cave. I'll make sure to Wikipedia that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, watch um, the kill count on so, it. Or watch the kill count on yeah, it. Yeah, totally that one. <laughs> um, second to last question, but the final question of actual substance on the matter. If you were in my shoes and you had to ask yourself a question that I had not yet, what would you ask yourself? I think I would ask myself... Joey, what is the one horror movie that you keep going back to that you can't stop thinking about because it's so, so good? And I would say, well, Harrison, um, this isn't actually like... A scary movie, but um, Shaun of the Dead, which is a horror comedy about a 29-year-old TV salesman who kind of lives his life as a, you know, mindless zombie. Uh, He gets thrown into a zombie apocalypse, and and, and it's it's his journey into becoming, uh, becoming an adult. And becoming an adult in his relationship, his relationship with his best friend, actually having to leave his best friend behind in order to become a bigger person because his best friend is holding his back. And and then learning to be one with himself, therefore he can be one with his uh, girlfriend in relationship. And having to deal with loss uh, of his mother and his flatmate and his best friend. And that's what's able to... Um, turn him into the person that he truly wants to be and it's one of the the funniest most creative exciting uh truly visually stunning movies i've ever seen and so even though it's not a movie that really uh that really you know engages with the fear and horror that most audiences want i think it's one of the best zombie horror comedies ever made so thank you harrison for asking me that question Definitely didn't lead it down a path of what I wanted to say. I just, yeah. You don't want to say anything about Texas? You're good? I'll say this. Uh, Texas Chainsaw is a great post-Vietnam War movie. And it's it's pretty disturbing. It's one of the classics. It's the birth of the final girl. Uh, uh, the birth of the death by sex, pretty much. Ah, uh, Maybe that might be, well, Suspiria or Black Christmas. I can't remember which was first. But those both are final girl. Either way... Um, it, it also deals with the, you know, the meatpacking industry and just, you know, humans itself. Also, um, uh, Le- Leatherface is, is a very interesting character. Uh, it deals with cross-dressing and uh, horror uh, in, the, in the transgender community, which at the time uh, wasn't really, you know, being highlighted. It still isn't really being highlighted now. Um, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, yeah. It's a very interesting take. So I would say look into it. Look into Texas Chainsaw. It's very, uh, it's a very interesting um, movie. So you should do, after watching this, you should add to your movie list, The Descent. Yes. Texas Chainsaw. Yes. Get you that new age, that old age horror. 
Yes. Get you best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. Absolutely. So as we wrap up this podcast, I would just like to ask you, where can we find you? Plug any of your social medias. Tell people where to message you about how they like those, how they like the descent, how they like Texas Chainsaw themselves. Well, you can find me on Instagram at Joey P. Cooper and on uh, TikTok, my great TikTok at Joey P. Cooper. And those are my two main uh, socials. He's very funny. Well, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but also bizarre. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. That's a, good, that's a good. Those are two great adjectives I think I would use. And you are uh, creative and um, burning, <laughs> I would say. Maybe not the, the latter, but you know what? Harrison, you're, thank, you, thank you for having me on your podcast. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Thank and you for being on. Yeah, no. I had a lot of fun talking about uh, horror movies, as you would say. <laughs> it was I, a blast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well... On that note, I hope you sleep well tonight. I'll see you all next week. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what an ending. <laughs> that was scary. <laughs>